0: Three, two, one. From Rapid City, South Dakota. And the Hard Rocker Podcast Network. Focusing on stories on and off the playing surface. This is the Hard Rocker Huddle. My name is Josh Van Volkenberg-Gernert. Welcome into the Hard Rocker Huddle. This is episode 29 today and we're with new director of track and field and cross country, Joe Stevens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, just getting started you kind of grew up you mentioned that you kind of moved around a lot but you grew up originally in a small town in oregon what was that kind of like and what was kind of you know
1: the experience of moving around a lot oh boy um little town of condon oregon it, it uh, basically the only reason i was born there was because my mom couldn't make it to the Dalles, which is the only larger community in in the uh you know, basically cow country of uh, North Central Oregon there, and uh, yeah, she had to make a quick stop, and a, um, fortunately, there was a nurse, at the little clinic, and and uh, that's where, as where I could technically say, my home's at. We lived even outside of that even more. Um, um, my mom was a nurse uh, at that point, and um, my dad had a cabinet making business in this little town, and they did a lot of volunteer work for a lot of people in the area, and um, yeah, but it was. It was, uh, it was a simple life as a kid, uh, and then between my mom's profession, she had a desire to get into nursing, uh, administration, academia, really became a lot of, of my life growing up. Um, so we moved probably four or five different times between there and high school as my mom got master's and PhDs and then ended up being uh, a college dean um, at, at several uh, universities across the country and um, So yeah, I, I think um, college and the idea of making a profession out of it because of you know my dad and mom's involvement in that area, I suppose at a young age it, it sparked an interest and I could see, see the value that that could provide to, you know, people group and, and, um, you know, when my dad got older, I saw the sacrifices that he made, um, to help my mom in that area. Um, ended up, you know, selling his little business and, um, and he had a heart for people. And I think that's where I get that part of myself as a coach is, is, you know, from my dad and my mom and those experiences. And, um, my dad, uh, spent a fair number of years as a, like a, like a pastor in small towns. and. Just helping you know poor populations that needed help and um just giving back and and so I kind of folded all that at I think 17 years old i knew i wanted to be a college coach so uh, but i think the world of academia was sparked in my mind as a profession at a young age um and then you know those simple values that you get from living in a small town too you know, sure
0: so maybe you mentioned kind of knowing early on you wanted to be a coach you mentioned you know being around academia a lot. So initially were you kind of thinking that maybe you wanted to teach at some point before you went to the coaching route?
1: <laughs> you know that's funny. Um, you know I thought about physical education as a, as a degree um, because it was an easy track as a major into the coaching world. Um, but I don't think young I wanted to teach and it was only after I got my graduate degree and I was required to teach classes in my first two coaching jobs. It was, in fact, it was represented more of my salary than than the coaching stipend itself did. And, um, I remember getting rave reviews from the dean uh, of the department uh, and, and telling me that I had a future as a teacher and it was just shocking to me. And I remember going home and talking to my parents about my first job and how it was, how it was going well and, and how much the teaching side of it was just expanding and I was finding his passion in that area. And my mother and father, I don't know, they were just shocked. They were like, really? You? A good teacher? Because when I was young, I, I had this nickname, they called me Motor like like an engine motor because I had non-stop energy constantly going everywhere uh, speaking of running and track and field I was challenging anybody that would listen and take me up on a race you know on the playground it was from here to the fence and back and, and I, I whether I won or lost I was so competitive and so you know being a teacher is you have to be methodical and you have to be patient and you have to have that that ability not only to disseminate information, um, you know, verbally, but also look for feedback and just be interactive and be relational. And um, I don't know. It's uh, I think that was it was a skill I I found I had later in life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, early on, growing up, what kind of initially sparked your interest in sports? Was that something that kind of came from your parents or maybe siblings,
1: or was that more internal? I think I was naturally gravitated to the athletic world, you know, watching football games with my dad on Sunday, and I can still remember, you know, him sharing stories with me, how with his grandfather, they would drive up on, he grew up in Southern Nevada, little bitty town, little bitty mining town in Southern Nevada, Good Springs, Nevada, and his, him and his grandfather would drive up on top of this mountain to get the radio broadcast of a boxing match or the White Sox and those were the two sports my grandfather loved and so my dad would go with him as just a little kid and my dad would relate these cool stories and and how animated my, my great-grandfather would get and you know, he would start airboxing as, as uh, whoever it is they were listening to and, and uh, uh, raging against the Cubs or whatever uh, and, and, you know, and and I guess I could say I had a lot of those experiences with my dad um, and we bonded, like I say, I mean, one of the interesting moments as a kid, you know, we grew up with, with not a lot of money and there was love in the family, but there wasn't a lot of money and I would go outside. I was the youngest of two, uh, two of my, I have one brother, older brother. And so as the youngest. I would have to take the the rabbit ears. They were connected on a long cord and walk out into the yard. And they would holler at me. And usually it was in the most awkward position with the rabbit ears not even affixed to any tree branch, uh, when that NFL game zoned in clearly. And and so, but it, and then you'd rush back in and and it maybe would get a little grainy and it a little fuzzy. But you had a great time watching it and it was just awesome. Um, so, yeah that kind of sparked the interest in sports my brother ended up branching off more into the the analytical world he became a phd chemical engineer and i just fell in love with sports more and more and more you know
0: sure and you kind of mentioned that early on you were involved in multiple sports but it was pretty i believe you said between your freshman and sophomore year that you kind of honed in on track and cross-country, I think that's pretty rare, especially in high school, to not be involved in you know a bunch of sports. What was it that kind of drew you and made you fall in love with those sports so early on?
1: You know, I'd play anything. It was very competitive, um, probably ultra-competitive when I was a kid and um, I was the last one coming off the community sandlot playing baseball. You know, I, I played as much basketball as I could. And I had pretty good motor skills and movement up through basically you call it middle school age in basketball and baseball. I was a good shortstop. Um, I was a good guard. Um, I had a good dribble. Um, I had a great fallway jumper. But I, I kind of hit that growth spurt from about five feet tall to six feet tall. And that happened early and middle in middle and high school. And I always wanted to do the sport or the activity that I not only loved, but also was successful at. And I think that's, for me, that's always been important. I've, I've looked at, at the abilities that I have and whatever they are, um, you know, as a gift, um, not for me to just use selfishly, but to develop for hopefully the greater good. and And, um, and so I found a gift in running my my guts and my gas tank really started to stand out when I was interested in swimming as well. And then freshman year, we, were in, we lived in Great Falls, Montana, and it was too far to go to a pool. Um, we, I was uh, homeschooled at the time because we were moving every two to three years for these different positions that my parents had and opportunities. And it was hard to get really roots in one place. Um, and so I picked up running. I just started running, and I would always race kids, as I said. But I picked it up, and I asked my dad, who was a very good high school track and field athlete, um, you know, back when they ran the 100 yard dash and the 220 and the 440. And um, but my dad was good, you know, he could he could fly. He could run 21 mid, 21 high for a 220, and which is which is good. I mean, that's a it's what it is now. It's you know it would be come close to winning the RMAC. And he was that good out of high school. He never even got the opportunity to do it in college. And he had to just go to work right away. And so my my parents always wanted to provide those opportunities for me. And they they really blessed me with that. And um, so he he gave me a little bit of a running guidance. Run two miles a day. Because all I wanted to do was go out and do sprints. And he's like, Joe, you need to get some endurance. You say you want to do this longer distance stuff. And he's like, be disciplined. Get two miles a day without stopping. And I did two. And then I, a month later, I got to three miles a day. The first three mile I ever ran, I ran 24 minutes for three miles, which is so average. I mean, it's below average in high school. I mean, this is not good. Uh, you know, it's three eight-minute miles. And, and But I did it without stopping. And it was a hot summer day. And it was summer in 96. And I remember it was so much a coordination of times because the Olympics were going on in Atlanta. And Michael Johnson was on fire. And he was tearing it up. And there was this um, American named Bob Kennedy, who at that time was the only non-African to have broke 13 minutes in the 5,000 meters. Um, and you know, the Canadians and Ethiopians had dominated for the last 20 years and as well, the amazing presence still on the world scene now on the elite level when it comes to distance running. And and so I was looking at Bob Kennedy. I never heard the name before and I watched him and he got fifth and I believe fifth or sixth in the Olympic final, which the highest that an American had finished since I think the 1960s when we had, um, I think it was uh, since the 1960s since uh, American had won the gold in the 5000. And so watching the sprints and, and the all these track and field events, and then it was my first summer of pouring into my training myself, that was enough to spark that passion and give those boyish dreams of becoming great and, and growing up in that kind of simple life of you have a roof over your head, you know, we eat dinner at the table we love each other and we're going to work really really dang hard as a family it, it kind of folded into okay you know I've got some speed but I think my gift is distance running and that and I thought that's my greatest gift and I've just poured myself into that
0: sure and as you got older obviously you eventually went to college initially at Oral Robert, Roberts on the recruiting process obviously wasn't the same back then there wasn't a lot of social media What was it kind of like to, you know, what was that process like and why did you decide to go to Oral Roberts?
1: Oh, boy. Um, So, we lived in Oklahoma. We moved um, to a small town of Alva, Oklahoma in the Panhandle. And it was a small university there. Um, My mother was the dean of nursing there. um, And I was homeschooled, which precluded me from having as many athletic opportunities as I would have enjoyed. Um, academically, it was a phenomenal learning experience. My brother advanced grades and, uh, and I was able to learn uh, some amazing set of skills academically. Athletically, it was a little bit limiting. And so my folks did as much as they could to provide opportunities. So we would travel around to open competitions. And I recruited myself to coaches um, simply by walking up to them and saying, hey, I'm Joe. Um I'm a runner and and I'd like to know some standards to make your team. Um and I remember doing that for the very first time to the head coach at Oklahoma State. I had went to the meet, uh the college meet actually. It was a the the Oklahoma State Cowboy Jamboree is one of the largest cross country meets in the nation. Um whether it's division one, two, three, NAIA well not so much division three, but I'd say NAI and Division One and Two and Um I remember coming up to him there because I had jumped into that open college race. Um, I didn't want to hurt my eligibility, so I talked to someone who said, if you drop out right before the finish line, you won't hurt, hurt your eligibility. So I did I run the race. I had a pretty decent time. And then I came up to him and talked to him for about 10 minutes, and then I remember gave him some of my stats, and he had one of his assistants call me. Um, I only got recruited by two coaches. One was by Oklahoma State, and then one was by Earl Roberts. And the reason I chose Oral Roberts was probably, I felt the, I guess I'll say this, the recruiting process was, was influential upon me. When I was talking to U, they were both good teams, although very focused on very different things. Oral Roberts was multiple-time track and field conference championship. A winning program um, Oklahoma State was much better on the cross-country side not not near as good in track in fact wasn't really a focus of theirs so on the external being a miler I had been able to win a state championship indoors in the the mile folks drove me down and I won the indoor mile there and um, so I I was a distance runner Oklahoma State was the natural draw but they there they told me on I got sold on a community at Old Roberts um, And there was a lot of things and opportunities that were going to be able to enlighten paths in my life on career choices um, there was better mentorship opportunities at Oral Roberts but I think there was one thing that turned me away from Oklahoma State and I remember having a conversation with one of the assistant coaches at that time and I'm sure I never I don't say all the right things to my recruits and you want to say all the right things because you want to get them. So I absolutely no, don't hold any at will. It wasn't anything wrong. He was just trying to get me to come, and he was selling me a pitch, but it wasn't the pitch I wanted to hear. And he rolls right into it on, you know, Joe, if you come, it's going to be a great, you know, it's going to be fun. You're going to make friends. It's going to be some great experiences. You're going to be able to tell your grandkids someday. Uh, and you're gonna have these great memories and I thought I coach myself I don't have a high school coach I, I run all of these miles and do all this training alone because I watched the Olympics in 1996 and I want to try to be great I am I, I'll lift however much you want I'll run I don't care if I run 100, 150 miles a week you give me the winning formula I want to add value wherever I can, I want to know that you're going to push me and challenge me and, and create that environment where I just plug into it, I'll go all out at it. And I got that vibe a lot more at ORU and um, then I did go into the, the recruiting process that led that, that led me to one over the other.
0: Sure, and you had some success obviously as a team at ORU as well. Uh, was You won a conference championship, was that in track or cross country?
1: I was in track and field, yeah.
0: And were you a pretty big part of that team, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was a freshman. Um, Yeah, I remember being there at the meet, and um, I did not score points my freshman year. Um, One of the interesting things about that experience was I had a couple – there was only a – we had a young team, and most of the freshmen – my understanding didn't make that conference meet and there was only one freshman out of we had five pretty good guys come in that year and there was only one of them that scored scored points I think he was seventh in the 800 and watching my teammates leave it all out there one of my friends, his name was Spencer, and he was the only freshman on our team to actually score. He sold out in the 800 and took the lead over multiple All Americans and led through the 400 point, got past, dying, locking up, coming down the home stretch. And I saw multiple story upon story. I saw guys step up that had never been on the 4x4 four four, that were like a third string athlete and they needed and they threw them on the 4 by 4 and they manned up and laid it on the line and did it extremely well. So I saw the team support itself and I saw us win. Our highlight team captain had a real bad back injury. His name was Ben Holberg. Ben Holberg's now has a PhD in psychology, runs his own sports psychology clinic out in, out in California. Um, and uh, Ben was a great, a great mentor, great, great guy in the time that I, I knew him there. And he he led by example. One of the ballsiest guys you ever met. And um, with a back injury and almost no training, won two events at his senior year in the conference meet. And um, we had one of our best runners at that time who broke his foot the conference meet before, in the middle of his race, and then didn't drop out because he wanted to help us win. Then we won the year before. So I didn't get. To run that day because I was a young freshman and honestly the division one level I wasn't good enough for it yet. I developed into being the kind of runner that could compete you know on the conference level and then do well and later on when I ended up transferring schools I was able to go to the national meet a couple of times as an individual but I was a young kid who didn't know how to race. I was a homeschool kid with very little experience and I needed to get faster and stronger but what I pulled away from that was, team matters. The buy-in matters. Guts matter. Heart matters. And all of this is bigger than yourself. And all of this can pull you out of your fear, pull you out of the trepidation that you have when you're looking over there and there's some, you know, these other legit D1 competitors and it can be scary, you know, but you forget about yourself when the team, the team is on the line and what you do matters for the team. And, um, I always just wanted to add value whatever I was doing. Um, I remember back when I did play other sports, I was the guy that wasn't always maybe the best scorer, but I would, I would lay out. I didn't mind hitting the floor. I'll, I'll fly right into the benches, saving one ball. Um, I don't care what kind of pain I go through just as long as it helps the team. And that, and, and so seeing that was actually a key to winning, um, just fueled me to keep digging in more and more. Sure, and you mentioned how
0: some of those experiences really shaped you and helped you as a runner. What led to your transfer to Mount Marty, and then what were some of your experiences there?
1: You know, it was hard to transfer because I had some great friendships and relationships. Um, I did have those those people that knew how to win. Um, you know, after this was by my this was my sophomore year, and I going into my junior year and, and I had to make a decision academically what I was going to major in on or Roberts I went there not knowing exactly what I was going to major in the time I got to the end of my sophomore year I knew what I wanted to major in and it wasn't something that we had and so I had to had to make that choice um, I was also finding out what I was really good at and what I wasn't and I was finding more of a talent and a gift more toward the longer distance side, 5,000, 10,000 meters, even longer post-collegiately. I trained more, more marathon. Um, and so the head coach, they had hired a new coach at Mount Marty. I looked around at schools uh, that had the majors that I needed, um, would take all of my transfer credits. It was a logical decision. It, It was a decision that was that hurt because I was leaving a family behind, but I knew at that point I 100% was committed to being a college coach at that and I needed the degree to get me there and my own running was important to the degree where I was a big cross-country guy as well and the coach that they had at Mount Marty, um, he had been on the Division 2 level for 17 years um, at a university in South Dakota, Augustana, and he'd been the head coach there and had multiple top 10 teams in D2. Um, he was a phenomenal, his name was Coach Rob Kennanon. Um, he ended up retiring actually from Mount Marty. He went to the University of South Dakota and retired there as a the head coach. Um, but I went there, they had my degree, it was affordable, um, and I, I would have had a coach that fit the event area that I was developing into.
0: Yeah, and then you kind of finished up your career at Fort Hayes State. I um, mean, you were a student athlete and kind of a coach at the same time, right?
1: Yeah, that was an interesting situation. Uh, I ended up going there under a graduate assistantship. So I got paid to coach and teach classes. Um, And first semester, I I knew I had a full year of eligibility because I redshirted my freshman year when I was at Oklahoma. And I didn't know that I could use it because that would have been my third transfer technically from my understanding of it and I talked to the initially the compliance department and they said no you're, you're not eligible um, and so I said okay I'm, I'm just gonna coach and so I coached and was taking grad work and uh, but then I'm training with the team and the guys are begging me by the time we come to the indoor track season just begging me Joe you've got to go in and ask him again I was like I asked them. they said it was the third transfer I was not eligible due to that third transfer rule. And, and so I was like, oh, I'll go in and talk to him. So I do. I, and they, apparently, track was different than cross country. I had a season. And so it was basically the middle of the outdoor season by the time this all came through. And I was like, all right, guys, I feel like at this point, you know, I haven't, I've been training with you, but I haven't been doing all of the lifting, all of the components. I've been acting like a, a post-collegiate guy in grad school coaching. Really, and those were my priorities. So when I automatically found, oh, I have this season and now I'm coaching you, I had a conversation with the track and field coaches there. We talked about what I might be able to add. And I made the decision at the time to put my own running, which was still incredibly important to me uh, and meant the world to me. But I made the decision to put that on the back burner and sacrifice that if I had to for the sake of the team and that particular school used graduate assistants a lot and they actually gave us coaching responsibilities and I was working 60 hours a week. Um, 60, I remember the, uh, the first, that was my first coaching job and I made $5,000 and I remember being like feeling rich, oh, I, get, I get, to get paid to coach, this is amazing uh, not calculating the $1 an hour that it actually comes out to. Uh, and so yeah, we won the Armac title. That was the last year that institution Fort Hayes was in the RMAC. Then they went to the MIAA. The Armac went more regional and went more mountain. Um, yeah, we were able to win the outdoor track title. Um, but the majority of my, my time as an athlete there was, I would pick a couple all Americans and I'd say, I'm taking you through a workout. And I'll just, I'll pace you through this. I'll get you the training you need. I mean, we would run multiple 18-mile runs Sunday morning at 6-minute mile pace. Um, And, uh, yeah, we would take a loop through town and go past all the clubs where everyone else was just scraping themselves out of bed in the morning and look for money. (laughs) We'd always find like 20 bucks laying on the ground somebody dropped when they're coming out of the club. and, And it was like, yep, we're glad we're running. We're getting paid for this uh so that was that was my job um and that kind of led into my first coaching experience outside of grad school when i was a full-fledged coach was i was offered in that immediate year while i was graduating i was 24 years old i was offered two head d2 jobs and i turned them both down because of my experience at fort hayes what i what i had felt coming from a pure student-athlete undergrad experience and feeling empowered to be really an amazing athlete and as good as I could be. I'm not saying I was an amazing athlete. I worked really hard and I had some success, but um, having things tailored to really help a person develop to a graduate school where working 60 hours a week, taking over a full load of grad hours, and trying to run and compete it was not a winning recipe. It was it was a recipe for disappointment in one or the other area. and. The one thing I noticed, myself, noticed about myself was I would sacrifice what mattered to me to help somebody else. And even though the running meant the world to me, I said, really, the heck with what I want. I'm here for you. I care about you. I want to see you reach your goals and dreams. And so I, I turned down these two head coaching job offers because I knew within myself, I would always put the team first and my coaching first and my running would suffer and I would never have the chance to be as great as I could be. So for literally the next five to seven years, I tailored my coaching experiences so that I could do both. And that's why I stayed as an assistant coach for as long as I did to allow my running career the best chance that I could really develop in that
0: area. Sure, earlier you kind of mentioned that you knew you wanted to be a coach early on. I believe you said you were about 17. Did that ever, like while you were in college and running, did that ever kind of shift? Or was there ever a point where you were like, maybe I want to do something else? Or did it more just reinforce that you kind of, that coaching was it?
1: I completely reinforced it. That's a really good question. Um, I think experience has a great ability to shape us. And if you look at some by the choices that I made for academic reasons, and some by, you could call it, just the way things worked out, you know, I'm a person who, who you know, personally, I'm a person of faith, and I, I believe, you know, the Lord allowed me to experience some very frustrating experiences in college, coaching-wise, due to transferring and having different coaches, um, I transferred him out, Marty for this guy that's this amazing distance coach, he leaves the next year and takes a legit job at USD that's great I supported him in that that meant in a sense for my running this was now pointless and so and we had a couple of, uh, part-time coaches and the next year and they did the best that they could but one was a high school teacher and one was a math professor and they were there in a couple hours a week so I didn't really have a coach so I went through high school without a coach I'm redshirted my first year I've got a coach for sophomore, junior year. And then the remaining years, I've got workouts posted on the on the door and I got to figure out how to interpret them and apply them and do them. And then when I'm in grad school, I'm finding out I'm loving coaching even more and that's taken the precedent. So it wasn't tailored. My, my experiences as they worked out and if I could do it all over again, maybe I would do it differently. And I do think having one coach for four years, would have helped my athletic career 100 percent having one team one set of relationships one one program to buy into i mean the consistency of that is we preach consistency as coaches all the time having that life balance and things in place and routines and boy i was talking to dan our throws coach today and we were talking about uh, athletes moving into that next level and he said you know joe to be honest I don't know too many throwers who don't come and work hard and consistently buy in for four years that aren't going to get a lot better. And that's a credit to how good a coach Dan is and throws. And, but it also speaks to consistency, this, which is something as logistical structure. I just, I, I was, you know, unlucky and didn't experience, but in another aspect, I was very blessed to have gotten to see three different coaches, three different styles, three different ways of doing it and, and picked up this is how you structure a team culture and this is how you don't here's some things definitely not to do and here's some stuff that Wow I still carry that with me today and because running meant so much to me I was learning and picking up on the value of a coach and I got done with four or five years of of college and said coaches really do matter good teammates really do matter having a program of excellence really does matter Um, having a culture where it's not excusable for you to show up late. One of the, one of the schools that I was at my senior year, it, it, you know, it turned out, unfortunately, that you could just show up whenever you wanted to practice. And I just found that inconscionable. I was like, man, I mean, if we're not talented, we at least need to buy in and strive and dedicate ourselves. And so, um, I learned what to do and what not to do as a result of that and saw the value of a coach. And that was really cool to me
0: yeah and then uh, we kind of already talked a little bit about fort hayes state um after that you actually came obviously this region black hill state what kind of interested you in that you mentioned turning down two head coaching jobs what kind of interested you made you interested in the black hill state job and i know you had some teaching responsibilities there as well what was that kind of like to be able to balance those two
1: things yeah um I went to a high-altitude coaching clinic in northern Arizona and I ran into Dr. Jack Daniels he was the uh, one of the US distance Olympic coaches they started an Olympic training center down there for a couple of years and and I just chatted with him a little bit and got into a couple of his um, symposiums and I met coach Scott Walkinshaw who was at that time there was there was a break from one of the symposiums <laughs> you know everybody Obviously, he's been drinking water and hydrating. Okay, bunch of track and field athletes. Some of us drinking too much coffee. Like I bring, I brought two coffees with me for this this podcast, um, and that's not my only coffee today, and it won't be. But I'm hydrating, and I'm attempting to eat properly as well. Um, so we all head to the bathroom, and I run into the head coach of Black Hill State in the bathroom, and then we strike up this conversation. We're walking back, and within 15 minutes, he offers me a job. And he just had a position that was open. It fit exactly what I was looking for. I I wanted something that would pay the bills, and an assistant coach, in an in on a program that had a winning culture. And at that time, this was in the NAIA. I think Black Hills at that point had won a lot of conference championships, and and particularly powerful more in the the distance side. Um, there was. I won't say that they were necessarily ever super great on the sprints, jumps, hurdles, even throws, but powerful middle distance, long distance area. So there was some winning culture there, and I knew I could learn from that. And um, Yeah, it was was just within 15 minutes I had a job.
0: Oh, that's pretty interesting, Yeah. just just like that. Um, And then while you were there, you kind of mentioned some of those conference championships. I believe you won three while you were at Black Hills State. What was it kind of like to just jump into – full-time
1: coaching and have immediate success like that. It was a byproduct of everyone else's work before me. And I was, I was, it was an honor to be able to learn and absorb all of the processes that led to that. Um, You know, I was given some responsibilities as a young coach that I didn't have experience as an athlete. I was throwing the jumps group and said, okay, you know, we, we need a jumps coach and you're it. And I, and R like, okay. <laughs> um, before that I was given the sprints coaching group and said, okay, coach this men's four by one that runs sub 40, which is fast, especially for division two, like 39, nine. I mean, you know, um, and so I had to learn and grow up really fast, which being stretched, it forced me to learn and teach myself how to do it um you know i also was i also would pick other people's brain uh, but i appreciate the opportunity as a young coach to learn how to fail you know to get to get in there and and try some things you're passionate about i was never short of passion or enthusiasm um you know and my and my that was at that point like i say i'd found a love for teaching as well and um, interestingly enough my second year at bh the Lead professor, exercise science, kinesiology professor, took a sabbatical, and they said we don't have anybody, and uh, they offered me teaching all of his capstone classes. So, you know, I'm 25 years old, I only have a master's degree, and they say, okay, I want you to teach clinical nutrition, clinical exercise physiology, and I had just barely taken, you know, the, the second level advanced degrees in it. So I had to teach myself how to teach it. Um, which was which was awesome it was a lot of challenges and a lot of fun opportunities as a young coach it gives you confidence makes you feel good about yourself and um teaches some new things and uh i think it's important as a coach to believe in what you're what you're doing
0: after that you kind of jumped back to the division one level um colorado state um what brought what were i guess well some of the main differences you know at that time between obviously you were young so maybe not as evident as now, but the differences between division one, division two, and how did some of those experience there kind of help you moving forward?
1: You know, I'm fortunate enough, wherever I've been to meet people that have impacted my life. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now as director of track and cross country um, without those mentors. And those influences um, you know every program I think has some neat things to offer and, and does things in a particular way and I've tried to pick up processes that were valuable um, when I've coached other than the junior college level that's the only level I haven't coached at I've coached at 1, 2, 3 and, AI. and I feel like fundamentals of culture um, consistently recruiting And then having training programs, the workouts, the practice structure uh, that's in place, that's that's properly done, that's well done. Those are the fundamentals. And if you do those right, and you keep those as your three pillars, um, and the kids see you care about them, and the kids understand you care about them, maybe beyond how fast they're going to run or how far they're going to throw, then then i think you're going to have a good program and i and and that was the same it's the same the division one level represented a unique experience because i went there in 2008 2007 somewhere in 2007 to i wanted to try to qualify for the olympic trials i had experienced once again two years at black hills it was an amazing coaching experience and i was getting better as a runner all the time but Every time there was a decision, am I going to put in some extra miles or time in the weight room or recruit more or coach more? I always pick coaching and recruiting, and so it was honestly a, a safety, a checks and balance for me. And I said, I have one last shot to try to be a great runner. It's not going to happen because I just love coaching so much. I was addicted to it, and I would always put somebody else before me. And so I quit and just trained and tried to live off prize money, road races, and and I met the head coach at Colorado state, um, randomly in a sporting goods store and I recognized him right away. Brian Barry Hill. And, um, he was a, f- a former elite miler multiple time, all American on the division one level. And so I knew who he was and I introduced myself and we struck up an immediate conversation and fell just fast as thieves, just great buddies right away. It was awesome. And we're still really good friends to this day. Um, but yeah, I worked with him for several years at CSU, and then went with him when he took the head job at the University of Wyoming. Um, you know, Division One has a lot of talent, and I think it's easy on the Division One level to say that's just where the most talent goes. Or you can neg- you can you can honestly think I think incorrectly, I know incorrectly, that talent's the only thing that matters. Um, if you don't have the buy-in on the division one level and if you don't have a good team culture and you don't have training methods and workouts that are properly designed for those athletes it doesn't matter how talented the kids you're gonna get I spent seven years on the division one level getting in amazingly gifted individuals top 25 in the country where you're you're fighting Texas and Oregon and and these kids could go to these schools on scholarship, and they're coming to our school instead. That did not dictate how how many titles that person won. It came down to good decisions, having a good environment, good proper coaching, having friends, and solid balance in your life. I mean, those things, which a coach influences, and you have to prioritize as a coach. Those things actually dictated more how fast or how far somebody jumped or whatever. Uh, than anything else um, but it was an exciting experience being in the division one level sure. yeah sure. Um, you were an assistant for quite quite a while
0: what you know when did it kind of start to hit you that maybe you wanted to become a head coach and why was you know why was the time right when you decided to go
1: to Hamlin um, so I'm going to correct you there um, you said I went to Hamlin Um oh. Um, Bethel, went to Bethel. Bethel, one of my good friends, Devin Monson, head coach at Hamlin, um, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to tell him. Yeah, I was doing this podcast, and uh, you know, I got I got accused of being you, um, and he's gonna be like, Oh, we can't have that, because uh, in college, Devin was better than me, and he constantly reminds me of that. And he's like, Oh, it's a faster runner. Um, no, those are those are good guys. The the Maya Conference is a good Division three conference. I got to be a part of there at Bethel, and um, um, you know. What happened was I went to the University of Wyoming to be the recruiting coordinator. So 80% of what I'm doing, I did coach the distance runners, a lot of the distance runners at times, but that only represented, you know, 10, 20% of your hours. 80% of it, I'm recruiting sprinters, and jumpers, and distance runners. And and our roster went from, I think, in the mid-70s to 110, 115 in three years. And the women's team went from one of the bottom teams in the conference to runner-up in the conference. And uh, men went from being a one of the, definitely in the bottom half of the conference to being just a really good team. We we had a really good cross country team. Um, got a girl in NCAAs in cross country. So the team went from struggling to under Brian Berryhill and, and and whatever value I was able to provide, we, we we bumped it forward. And but there needed to be some changes to take that program to the next level. I was. I was hungry to move on and to take on more of a coaching role recruiting coordinator so I'm in my early 30s I finally hanging up hung up my spikes I'm no longer pursuing my own running career I'm full-fledged whole hog college coach and I'm gung-ho this this new young coach to like be fired up to fully commit to it and I worked 80 hours a week lived off coffee chicken wings um, and soda. I mean, very, <laughs> I found out after three years, you know, you get a migraine and, you, and the doctor tells you, oh boy, you, you what are you eating? Like, what are you, how much you sleeping? And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, a little. And and so I had to learn the quote unquote holistic part of, of, of life and the balance. And I still remember uh, one of the guys that would speak into my life, even when I left his school, which tells me he's a good coach. And um, he was the throws coach at Colorado State, and um, Brian Bedard was his name. And I was uh, at the University of Wyoming, hungry to move on and be a head coach, and but very fired up for the kids I'm working with. We're at the conference meet, and I am screaming and yelling and just running everywhere. Just this nickname from my kid, the Motor. You know, I'm motoring everywhere. I'm just going crazy. And Brian looks at me and he goes, "Joe, I love your passion." But what you are doing is not sustainable. And I'm like, I'm 31, 32 years old. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm still holding on to my 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 athletic fitness that hadn't all left at this point. You know, now it's pretty much all gone. Uh, but I didn't I didn't believe him. I, I thought, oh, you're just you know, I know he's he's had a lot of success, but you you're just an old guy. Nope. he's a hundred. I mean, I found out a couple of years later got to take care of yourself. Coaches have to, have to learn life balance just like we teach our athletes. Um, so I'm glad I learned that lesson going into Bethel. Um, so I was hungry. I was hungry to be a head coach. That was most of it. Um, I was fortunate to have the head coach at Wyoming push me that way. Um, I asked him not too long ago, like about his role in me leaving Wyoming and going to Bethel. And he's like, you know, Joe, I just think there was more for you think it was better for you better for you to move into that zone um and it was yeah it was the right call to go there um I grew a lot over the last seven years which wasn't always comfortable I think growth comes as a result for me anyway you try something you learn from the pros and the cons of that and then you grow after being introspective about your process. I would get athlete feedback. I had never experienced being the head coach and having anonymous student athlete surveys come through and I go, oh, I can't believe this person wrote that I only care about the faster runners, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I, I mean, I love all you guys. I, I care about you all. I mean, I'm not, I'm not just in this for the, the ones that are going to score points and, and I want all of you to reach your full ability. I knew that within myself, but I looked, but what I did is I sat down with our AD there and I said, this hurts getting this athlete feedback. This is truly not me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm really, I got a, I got a good heart. And he's like, Joe, you got to look at what they're actually saying. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, there, you got to analyze, you know, you're not a bad guy. You know, you don't just care about the faster kids. You, you, you know, everybody has value. Do you ever tell that to him? I was like well no i mean it's kind of a common human principle they should know i care about them and he's like well no they're they're young they're 18 19 years old they're alone for the first time maybe they haven't learned confidence maybe they're struggling in their academics maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend just broke up with them you don't know what they're going through and so gosh it was example after example um being a head coach and learning communication is important um I'm a good analyzer of human behavior. I will say I am i have a very good gift of kinematic analysis, both from the human interactive personality traits, behavior patterns, um, picking up on nuances verbally, along with you know physicality when you're at practice and watching a move. And I'm really good at that. And the one thing I had to grow into as a head coach was communication and saying, hey, I see this. I see you and you're awesome and here's why. And I found out that was just intoxicating to the culture, and it just invigorated growth. Um, you know, I had th- I think 11 women and 13 men, or maybe it was flipped around. I don't remember. It's been I'm getting old. Um, it was a uh, total of 25. I remember on the roster when I went to went to Bethel, and when I after four years we had doubled that in size, and I went my last three years I had an unbelievable relationship with my athletes and the performance level was growing and you know we had all americans and and when i left one of my women's captains told me she's like coach if anybody ever tells you that you don't care and that you don't know what you're doing just know that they're full of it (laughs) and and i thought that was an amazing compliment because i I was fired up. I was enthusiastic. I was intelligent when I went there, but I had to learn how to be a head coach. And I didn't have, especially all those relational, those complex relational things figured out. And I still don't. I'm still growing in that area. And I think it's important as a leader, it's important to not be cocky and arrogant and go, well, I know everything and no, I'm, I might have to clarify something that I say You know, you and I might need to have a conversation. Talk about those elephants in the room, maybe things you're struggling with or things that maybe I don't agree with. And I think it's important that we constantly press into that healthy process um, because it helps us all grow. And then what, you know, obviously you just got here. What were kind of, what
0: was your initial interest in this position? And then what are kind of some of your first steps that you want to implement? You know, obviously, you haven't had a ton of time to work with kids yet, so that's probably a hard question at this point, but...
1: Yeah, I've had a, a super warm reception from the guys and gals. Um, I'm still working on doing one-on-one meetings with all of them. I've done about, I think, 40%, 50% of the team have done one-on-one meetings. I think I'm in work week three of the job now. Um, You know i've done some zoom calls with the team so i'm getting to know the team and the reception's just been fabulous um there's a desire um for more growth or desire to build upon the success that they felt recently um there's been some neat things happen in the program uh recently here Uh, i think south Dakota mines has done a very nice job transitioning from nai to division two the division two ranks have gotten brutally tough because a lot of those NAI teams moved into those D2 ranks and it's a very strong incredibly strong division now and so Mines is going in the right direction and it's 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 awesome to step in in that young process of in the D2 level now a team that's fired up and they genuinely are um I've got three guys coming back for example the cross-country team who I'm working on holding back almost uh, in a good sense because I would rather have guys and gals that are so fired up that I've got to say whoa I mean they're cranking 15-16 miles a day running 100 miles a week and um, wanting to do crazy workouts and and my job is to hold on to that passion and just gently guide it. Um, I had one of the multi-event athletes that, that scored last year which is hard to score in the RMAC. Um, Travis, he came by and, and graduate student this year and just an awesome guy and just big smile on his face with energy and excitement you know and he's he's crushing training this summer he's getting in the weight room and he's working on the technical so so my athletes here are they're ready they're they're ready for more and um you know staff and i have been having a lot of meetings on how to nudge that needle recruiting wise um you know that's a big piece for me um alumni connection i think any great program has a culture of alumni that is reconnected to the program when they leave, that feels like it never got disconnected. And I'm passionate about those human relationships and, and making people feel valuable because they are valuable. And one of the things that I, I want to do is, uh, add a big alumni component, a big cultural component to our first cross country meet. So one of the things that that we're going to do this fall is, um, We're not going to have an official collegiate cross-country meet. It's going to be an inter-squad relay race for the cross-country team at Robbinsdale Park to showcase their talent. It's going to be a a fun, exciting relay race to watch. Um, All the track team is going to come out. We'll cater a bunch of barbecue, send a letter to the alumni, get them brought in on it. Hey, if five show up, I'm going to feel honored. (laughs) You know, last minute notice coming into a holiday, around a holiday weekend, I understand. But just I want I want to send that message alumni matter because they do um, student athletes matter because without them none of us would have a job none of us would have a career none of us would even found a passion to work with these people if we didn't go through that process so that's that's big to me is continue mm-hmm. to, to grow the culture of the team that community of the team where everybody knows everybody's name and whether or not we're best friends or not we're fighting for each other and we've got another reason why we're training hard and why we're laying it out there um you know I really want to grow that roster I want those numbers to increase that's a tangible measurable way to see growth and I think uh what would be more awesome than to double our roster you know um what would be more awesome than to see 100 guys and gals on the track and field team um and is that going to take some years it's going to take some years but that journey that carpenter-like process that's exciting to me that's that's I was, drew, I was drawn here because I've got family in the area, a um, bunch of family in the state of South Dakota. You know I grew up out west a lot of my family still settled in the adjacent western states. Um, I've got some of my best friends in the world that live here in the hills. Um, I'm a big fisherman so we're, we're good fishing buddies. So for me that lifestyle balance with my wife and I and our family, all of that combined with the opportunity to lead a program in ever-increasing levels on the D2 level, which is my favorite level of any level I've coached at. It's by far my favorite. It's that blend of academics and athletics. High-end can be in both, and I think here we're definitely high-end in academics. Um, That's an awesome thing about this school, a niche that this school has that not a lot of schools do. Incredibly affordable institution. I think about sustainability in the recruiting process and a winning formula, and if you look at the kind of degree programs we offer here and the amazing affordability of it that's a that's a gift to me as a recruiter to 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 really sell and just even provide that information to somebody and say hey come to school here great degree um so there's just a ton of reasons why i'm excited to be here and and build something long term sure and
0: just kind of looking at you know some of the i guess recent years results are there any specific events that you think could really you know compete pretty soon and maybe some that maybe
1: need more depth or longer term growth? You know our throws have been a really nice component of our track and field team. Um, we've had a recent addition of some distance runners from this last spring that were able to score in the conference meet and you know the RMAT conference on the middle distance, long distance side is, is the toughest in the United States. It's better than most Division One conferences. Um, so to be able to score at that level means you're a pretty, pretty good athlete. I had a conversation with one of the old-time coaches in the RMAC over the weekend, and, um, and he was giving a compliment to to a lot of our distance runners in the fact that over the last couple of years they've really grown and uh, performance levels have improved. And uh, he was noticing it. And to come from him, I'll say that that was that – was, compliment and, and something that I I'm excited to continue to see growth in um, you know I know I'm in would like to be you know in two or three years in a spot in cross country speaking where we're knocking on the door we're in that conversation to go to the NCAA championships um, I remember talking to a peer of mine at my previous institution and it was at the national championships and We had a a four by four there as well as a a couple of other athletes. And um, this young lady had an 800 meter runner and he was a senior and he had been runner up. He'd been the bridesmaid numerous times. And I said, Ruth, what's your goal for Donson? Like, what's your goal? And thinking she's going to say something flamboyant or charismatic about how he's going to win and, you know, kick butt. No, she said very maturely he's going to go out and he's going to put himself in a spot to win. And he's excited to do that and if you're in contention to win and you're giving it all you have, that's all you can ask for because you can control that. And what we can control here is is our effort as a staff, is our ability to grow the roster, is you know, we've got some positioning with the throws to continue to score points in that area. We've got some multi-event athletes and some long sprints. I think relays are important. I'm a big 4x4 four four guy. Everybody loves a great 4x4. Four Would love to see our 4x4 relay continue to grow and i think that's something over the next couple years we can see it improve and the development of it um, grow Um, i'm a depth guy i'm a community guy and anytime you talk about relays that takes a team it's not about one person that's about a team right there and i'm a big team guy so yeah just looking ahead you know kind of schedule
0: wise i know you're early on you probably don't have a complete schedule yet but just want to talk a little bit about, you know, I know you're going to the Roy Gryak, um, and also you kind of mentioned the alumni event. Do you want to talk a little bit more about those?
1: Yeah. The cross-country schedules is the first to come up because it's obviously the first season that you you come to. Um, you know, they're both equally important to me. We've had some conversations with the staff to highlight our track and field season. Um, you know, we, we want to get our team to meets where some of our athletes have the opportunity, some of our high-end athletes have those opportunities, whether it's going to um, over to South Dakota State in Brookings. Um, you know, that's one of the best D1 meets, D2 meets in the country. And um, track, that's on our radar already. We're, we're planning on um, taking a group to that. Um, you know, outdoor track, that's that next stage of the conversation where we'd like to find a a legit meet to take some, to take some people to. Um, you know cross country is a little different it being a pure pure team sport um a lot of those experiences that you're having need to be about inoculating you to stressful circumstances and going to the university of minnesota it's one of the best mates in the country is um uh, and doing it in september is, is you are kind of getting thrown to the wolves out there but that's a good experience um the regional championships are on, on you know end of november i mean that's i think it's november 18th or 19th that's a long time so i want us to emotionally and psychologically learn as a result of these races as much as we're physiologically
0: thank you for listening to the hard rocker huddle with host josh van Vulkenberg Gernert. follow on apple and spotify